Welcome to Fireside Chats with Reverend Iron Kim, hosted by me, Abby, and produced by Grace Presbyterian Church of Silicon Valley. How are you, Abby? How's shelter in place? Oh, I'm loving it. You know, the fun keeps going and going and going and going. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of this fire crackling in the background? Ah, I can just sit and relax and feel like I am doing something restful. Yep, I think we're all in the mood for a little bit of self-care. Well, Iron, you told me that you wanted to talk about something fun to start off today. What fun did you have in mind? Well, since last year, I've been really into this series of books called Birdie and Jeeves. So, comical relationship between Birdie, this Englishman, well-to-do guy, and his butler, Jeeves. For those of you not familiar, these stories are a cross between Downton Abbey and I Love Lucy. For those of you who haven't read Birdie and Jeeves books, I highly recommend, and it's kind of rare that Iron and I both like the same thing, so I think that should speak really highly of this author. But if you remember that website, askjeeves.com, that's Jeeves. So Jeeves is the iconic butler in literature. And I really identify with this Birdie character because he's so bumbling. If I had to pick a word, it's bumbling. He never realizes the mess he's in until it's way too late. And I feel like that. I think it's worth a read. But Iron, how does that relate to this podcast? It's more than go read Wodehouse, which we're both recommending. I got to thinking about Birdie because the stories are about Birdie and his decision making. He always says, I'm always in the soup, which is to say, I am in trouble. In the soup? And he makes, in the soup. Apparently this was a saying in the early 20th century in Britain. So he finds himself in the soup and Jeeves is the one that helps him figure out how to get out. Mm. Okay, is that our topic today? It's actually about how to stay out of messes in the first place, because we need to figure out how to make good decisions, how to make wise choices, and maybe on a spiritual side, how do we discern God's will? And I think this fits pretty well, given that we've talked about things like waiting and praying. All of that kind of makes us ask the questions, well, what are we supposed to do? How do we make choices? How do we make decisions? Even in this season of shelter in place, we're making decisions all the time. Talking about the waiting and the praying, it is hard for me because I feel like there's so much emphasis in the Christian life about waiting on God, praying about things and sitting back. But I do feel like there's a time in life when we're called to stand up, to move forward. We're called to do things. Absolutely. And if you think about all the conversations I have as a pastor, what should I do is one of the most common, whether it's about the job situation, the relationship. Do I buy a home? Do I do this career? All of those things are related to making decisions as people try to figure out, how do I follow God? I need to make a decision and I'm not exactly sure what to do. Yeah. And sometimes we're not equipped to think about decision making in a biblical way. We have worldly advice on decisions and we have spiritual advice on waiting and passivity. But I think there is a spiritual comment to be made on decision making. Right. Well, let's start with the personal like we always do. Iron, you have a lot of life experience, a lot of life experience. When in your life have you made a tough decision? I mean, there's so many Years ago, when I uh, was a pastor in San Francisco, my season of being an associate pastor was coming to an end, and I wanted to experience what it was like to own the responsibility of shepherding a whole congregation on my own. We were trying to discern, 
God, where would you have us to go next? Would you want us to stay in San Francisco? Would you want us to go to an existing church and take it over? Which one? How do I know? And those were big questions. The church I ended up going to was in Orange County in Southern California. It was a smaller church that was without a pastor for a few years. But the process of trying to figure out, is that the right place to go? That was pretty hard. How did you know? You prayed, you made a spreadsheet, you punted the decision to someone else? Lots of conversations with Grace, with other pastor friends. You know, people gave lots of caution. It was also a church that was in a season of transition. So if I went, I would have to basically restart the church. And I would have to do fundraising because they were not in a situation where they could afford a full pastor at the time. I've never done that before prior. It was also in the suburbs. I always imagined myself doing more urban ministries. So there were a lot of question marks and risks associated with this. I actually went down for a visit and we were praying, Lord, is this where you want us to go? If so, please make that clear to me. And I don't want to sound all overly spiritualizing, but I remember after worshiping, preaching at the church, I came back and I called Grace and I I told her, you know, I feel like God wants us here. There's so many risks associated with it. But in that time of worshiping and getting to meet the people, there was this sense of, no, God is here and he wants us here. That was a conversation I remember very distinctly having with Grace on the phone. So that was your turning point. When you say God was here, what are you talking about? I have friends that basically describe hearing a voice or their Bible falls open to a certain page. I never felt very in tune with those things. If God's going to speak to me, I sort of hope it's on my Excel spreadsheet. What was that like for you? You know, and this is weird because I'm a Presbyterian pastor and I'm talking like, uh, you know, very high spiritual things. But for me, it was a sense of the possibility of what this could be a deep affection for the people that even after a couple of days, I Mm -hmm. could envision how God could be at work. And as we were worshiping, the presence of God was there in a way to confirm and affirm me. I don't know how else to describe that mysterious feeling, Abby. Mm -hmm. There was something spiritual about that. And of course, the spreadsheets were the ones that were like, pause, pause, pause. Lots of concerns, but at the same time, some level of confirmation and saying, okay, I'm going to trust you, God, and we're going to move ahead. However this plays out, I am trusting that you're leading us. Not all decisions can be boiled down to simple variables, especially if you believe in a living and active and spiritual and metaphysical God. How do you know if you've made the right decision, though? Sometimes people feel peace about things. I don't know if they're the right decision. Can you rely on your emotions? I can tell you I was at times peaceful. And at the exact same moment, petrified of making the wrong choice. I don't know that that's actually a good barometer because it depends on how that comes about. I think feeling like, hey, now I have no worries, that doesn't seem realistic to me. But peace and trusting that God is going to lead, regardless of how this turns out, is a different kind of peace. And that's what I was feeling. Lots of second guessing, but hey, this is a decision we're trusting God is leading us in. So it's not like just because you're a pastor, you woke up every morning in some state of spiritual Zen. It was still hard. 
<laughs> I mean, who actually does in the Bible, right? Yeah. Who actually feels that way in the Bible? Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think so. You know, I mean, we keep going back to Abraham. Did he feel that way every day? Probably not. I he is exactly who I was thinking of. I don't know how long that guy walked around the desert, but I am sure there were days when he was like, that vision, did that, did that really happen? I have some questions. Okay, well, what about let's shift into your role as a pastor, because more than anyone, you get an inside glimpse at a lot of people's decision making. You're the person who sees more decisions and more people's thinking processes about decisions than anyone else. What have you learned? Here's what I think most people are looking for. When they say they want some sort of guidance from God, I think most people would feel very comforted if God would give them GPS or like Apple Maps type directions, turn right here, (laughs) turn left here, make a U-turn. You feel like, please take the pressure off of me. But God doesn't seem to work that way. So I'll give you an example. One of the things I've done a lot of over the years is lots of counseling for dating couples who are looking to get married or are engaged. Oh my gosh. You guys, Iron Kim deserves so many props for this. He puts up with way more millennial hemming and hawing than anyone I know. Bravo. (laughs) That's not changed in all the years of ministry. That's just one of these major factors of life. Lots of people have questions around it. And it's a really important thing, right? It's a big decision. Completely. I was there once too. Gotta figure all this out, right? Mm. We're all figuring out. Grace Kim was such an easy decision though. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But years ago, I had this couple who came for premarital counseling. They were dating. And I actually had some pretty serious reservations about whether they should move forward or not. And it wasn't because it was something obviously like sinful. They're professing Christians. They love Jesus in their own way. There's lots of shared pieces. But there was one thing in particular I was deeply concerned about and I actually had a sidebar conversation with the woman in the relationship to share my concern. And I just wanted to know, hey, I noticed this. How do you feel about it? I'm not saying you need to break up, but I I have serious concerns. And at first, number one, she was very upset, which usually happens because she didn't feel like I was being supportive, but I felt like part of my job as the pastor is to help you see these things. Isn't that why you came to me in the first place? Like, you want to know. Yeah. But do you really want to know? No. I don't know. I don't know that we Um, do. And I was just asking, hey, what is your rationale about this particular issue? Because I, I see you uncomfortable with it in our conversations together. Have you considered not moving forward? Like all this stuff. So we had this conversation and at points it got kind of heated and she came back to me with, hey, but I don't know what else I should do. I'm in this stage of life. I don't see any other possibilities. What else would you want me to do? And I'm like, I'm not here to tell you what to do or what not to do. I'm just laying this out for you as here's my concern. That decision has to be yours. Right. And she decided to move ahead with it. I officiated the wedding, all that. Years later, I mean, the thing we addressed came back into their marriage in a very profound way. And eventually this marriage didn't make it. It was really hard. Mm. And I'm not saying that because I want to say, ah, I was right. But the rationale around how this person made that decision years ago still kind of comes to mind to me. Hey. I can't see beyond this. I can't see what else God would have for me. And so, hey, I'm just going to move forward. 
That decision-making process was one that really struck me and has stuck with me throughout my ministry career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so tempting to make decisions out of fear. This is fundamental to humanity. And I also really empathize with this woman's view that God will either do A or B in my life. In her case, it sounds like I will be alone and unloved, or I will be with this one specific man in this one specific marriage. I don't know. I just think we serve a God of C's and D's and E's and F's so often, a God who does things way beyond what we could imagine for ourselves. Yeah. So your big takeaway is don't make a decision out of fear. Well, and if we go back and connect the other two weeks, I think in the first week we talked about the foolishness of Abraham and Sarah because they got tired of waiting. They decided, oh, here's Hagar. Here's Mm -hmm. another path, you know? There's a decision-making process there where it's one of fear rather than trusting that God is going to be faithful to them and his promises. You know, there's a passage in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3, that says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. It doesn't mean that if you say, God, I'm giving this to you. Now you're going to do everything for me. But it's like, hey, as I commit myself and entrust myself to you, God, you're going to do something in my life, and I'm going to move forward believing that you're going to be faithful. And I think as we do that, you become a person who learns how to make a wise plan, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I love that passage too, commit your work to the Lord. What does that mindset of committing your work to the Lord really look like in a person's life? How do I know if I'm committing something to the Lord? What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, I'll think about it as a parent. You know, I have a child, a teen who's ready to head off to college soon, starting the application process. And there's a lot of choosing in this thing. I'm like, wow, okay. (laughs) What does it mean that I am entrusting to God this application process and whatever comes of it, believing and trusting that God is sending her where she needs to be? Mm -hmm. That's hard for a parent. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember even when children are younger, we're starting to think about, oh, is this the right preschool? Like in mm-hmm. hindsight, is that such a huge deal? I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But when you're on the cusp of that and you're thinking, I need to get on this right now or mm-hmm. their life is ruined because we have to make the absolute right decision or this is going to fall apart. I think we live in that kind of fear. And yet, how do we continue to say, God, Let this not dominate me so much. I'm committing myself to you and I am entrusting my decision-making process to you in this rather than feeling frantic and feeling like you have to have every T crossed and every I dotted. Totally. I think that takes a lot of pressure off to, I always feel like it's all up to me. Either I make the perfect decision or I ruin my life, make it or break it. But I do think about other passages in Proverbs. Proverbs is one of my favorite books about decision-making for sure, because other verses say things like, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord, that the random Mm -hmm. things that go into your decision-making, those are also from God, a reminder that God is the one doing the planning here. I'm just called to be faithful as I take the practical steps that I feel like he's called me to. That's a very different mindset than feeling like I am going to make or break my life. Other practical tips for making decisions? I mean, no doubt. If you're going to be wise, you definitely have to have the advice of other people. I think that's a key component of wisdom and decision-making from the book of Proverbs, right? Mm. You need good counsel. Mm -hmm. You need wisdom. 
Why? Because we don't see everything ourselves. We can't see ourselves accurately. We need a broader community of people. And sometimes you need people who are a little further ahead of you in life, who've crossed that bridge once or twice to help you see things. I think it's super important. Then there's this piece of you just need to be able to learn how to listen. Uh, It doesn't mean you just invite in whoever, right? But I need a variety of perspectives sometimes when I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so easy to be siloed. That word has become so popular over the last couple of years into a group of people that share your life phase, that share your general philosophy on decision making. But we lose a lot when we miss that variety. Right. And I think God puts people in our lives that are different and we need their input and God wants to use them for that purpose. I credit my friend Lillian, she's been a huge influence in my life the last couple of years for teaching me about this idea of building a war council. You can only have so many people in a war room. Not everybody gets to be in there, but you want to have the right people there. She encouraged me to think about who are the people that I admire in a particular area of expertise. I have some friends that I go to for relationship talks. I have other people that I love to talk about career with. And I don't talk about everything with every person, but I do have a war council, a trusted group of, I don't know, five to seven people that really do have almost a carte blanche to speak into my life. And that's been Mm -hmm. huge for someone young in their 20s. For me, a big decision iron was whether or not to come work for you. Do you remember that? It was the older people that were more helpful to me in that decision making because I was 23 when I started working for you, Iron. I was a little baby and I had just graduated from graduate school. I had a degree in French teaching and I really thought, oh, I need to be a French teacher. And if I don't take a French teaching job this year, I will never get to be a French teacher. That's really how I felt. Either I'm going into ministry or I'm going to use my degree and be a teacher. But everyone who had been in the workforce for more than five or six years could tell me that my career would be incredibly long. 30 years is a long time. They just really encouraged me not to think in such A or B terms about it, to have a much wider, longer perspective about the decision I was making. And that was huge. So I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And depending on the person, the advice that shows up is so different, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll go back to relationships for a second because. There are people that are so noncommittal. I'm afraid to go to the checkout line because if I do and I check out, I might have buyer's remorse. So they're just in a perpetual holding pattern. I can't move forward. And then you have the other people who are on the other side. They so desperately want a relationship and someone to love them. And you stay in that relationship way longer than you should because you're driven again by this fear that if you let this go, You stay with it because you're just so afraid of the outcome. And that was like the example I was talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. right? Totally. So you see both of those and trying to help people process all that. It's trying to help them figure out, hey, what are you ultimately trusting in? If you're a Christian and you self-identify as a follower of Jesus, what does it mean that you believe that you're committing yourself fully to him, that he is a God who is for you, that he is working in you? And you begin to make decisions based on that. You know, not making decisions out of fear, but out of trust. Even if you bungle things that you have a savior who will swoop in and take care of business, even when you make the wrong decision, then seeing how God used that for your good or talking about relationships in endurance, the devotional that I write, we are working through the book of Ruth. Ruth and Naomi are often upheld as spiritual heroes. And yet when you actually think about what Ruth did, I mean, there is no woman as desperate as Ruth. 
I love her. I'm a huge fan. I would love to be Ruth's girl in heaven. Would totally enjoy it. And at the same time, I'm like, wait. So you waited until he'd had too much to drink and you went to the party and laid down at his feet and then asked him to marry you? I don't know if I would recommend that. (laughs) And yet God used it for her good. He took care of her through it, even if it was kind of a weird decision. No. And I think that's part of it. Another saying that I kind of latch on to over the years for decision-making has been this. St. Augustine of Hippo, the great North African theologian, way Mm. back when in the 4th century, he said, love God basically with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You do that, and then go make a decision. Give yourself fully to God. And if you do, you're going to have to make a choice and then just go with the choice Because then you're not ruled by things like fear. You're saying, I'm going to trust. And even if I make a mistake here, God's going to course correct, come around me, adjust. And obviously, I'm not talking about things that are related to whether it's sinful or not sinful. That's like, that's an easy one. We're talking about stuff related to areas of wisdom. So, you know, there's a passage that Paul brings out in Romans chapter 12 that I know many of our listeners may be familiar with. But Paul says this, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He's saying, give yourself fully to God, commit yourself, and then your mind's going to be transformed and discern the will of God. So that is this process even St. Augustine's getting at, which is love God give yourself to him, and then that's how your decisions are actually shaped by him. I think it's a very different question to ask, what is the will of God here versus to Mm -hmm. ask, what do I want here? These are two different things. And I love that transformed by the renewal of your minds because it's really talking about your perspective on decision-making. You will have a new perspective if you're thinking about a decision from the vantage point of God already loves me, God already mm-hmm. is taking care of me. God already has a plan for me. That's such a different headspace to operate in. Let's think about that right now. And maybe there are some people in our community in the midst of coronavirus, they're thinking about employment. Do I want to make a career change? This may be a good time because all the other things that may be distracting are kind of set aside and you're saying, I have some clarity around what is really crucial and important. But you begin to understand something else like, Hey, am I motivated by money? Well, if you really are and your big goal is to make a ton of money in your next job, that's going to really point to what kind of jobs you're going to be open to. Sure. Right? But at the same time, if your heart begins to transform, yeah, that's somewhat important, but that's not the main thing. I'm beginning to understand how that fits into God's plan for me, for the church, for his kingdom. Then your decision making starts to shift. It's not tied to one thing. That, again, changes the way you're going to go about making your decisions. Whether you feel the pressure because of one thing or the other, it really does start to shift how we think about decision making. So what would you say to people at Grace Prez right here, right now, who are trying to make decisions during this pandemic? Number one, don't make a decision because you are freaking out. If you're freaking <laughs> out, probably not the best headspace to, you know, kind of really, yeah. Yeah, that's just probably common sense. My other thing is always don't make a decision out of fear, like a fear-driven one. We're so afraid of either losing something or not trusting that God's at work 
So that's the other thing I'd really encourage people not to do. If you're in a place of deep fear or urgency because of fear, that's where you want to take a step back before you make a decision. Pray, talk to people, and do all of those good things. Because in a way, too, that is what we're all doing right now. We have this opportunity to take a step back, to look at our lives more clearly, to be more in tune with the types of decisions that we have been habitually making in the past, maybe without even realizing it. So while this can be a very hard time to make decisions, and if you're driven by fear, this is not the right time to make a big decision, It can also be a really sweet time to make decisions because you have so much space. You have time to talk to people about what they think. This is such a great time to be evaluating your life, asking for God's direction in it, and then building your war council, which is the other thing we're really encouraging people to do. Yeah. If you're not having to go to work or school every single day right now, it is this precious time to really take stock of your life and your decision-making process. And I love this war council idea. Who are the few people that you would trust that you know are for you and are wise? I think everyone should be able to say, here are the four or five people I have in my life that I would go to in this. And if you don't have that, go find those people and bring them into your life and ask them to be a part of your life in this way. All right, Iron. Well, thank you for being on my war council. We will chat next week. So see you later. Hey, see you later, Abby. Catch you next week. Thank you, listeners. Bye.